Good morning. He is risen. I got to teach my five-year-old and three-year-old that this morning for the first time. Let's try it again. He is risen. So good to be with you guys. I've been looking forward to celebrating this day together. Sorry for those of you who are standing. Always a little bend in the knees will prevent, you know, passing out. So just want to remind you of that. The steps are here available to you if you'd like to sit as well. Um, so good to be here. So great to celebrate uh, the most important day in the Christian calendar, the day that Jesus, as Mark just said, conquered death. And I've been looking forward to this. Uh, we're going to focus on a, a short passage that you probably don't normally associate with Easter, but it's a great uh, Easter passage. If you have a Bible, we're going to read Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. If you don't have a Bible, it is printed on your bulletin. So I wanted all of us to have this in front of us. So let me read. I'm going to actually read from the bulletin version. This is the NIV. This is a letter to some Hebrews in the first century. And the author says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And the phrase I want to focus on this morning is the phrase in the middle of verse 2 where it says, for, who for the joy set before him. I want to talk about joy this Easter, what I'll be calling resurrection joy. The joy that was in Jesus and the joy that he offers to every single one of us today through his resurrection. Now, as Mark just mentioned, this week we have just walked through the final week of Jesus' life. And we've seen him walk through some of the most challenging circumstances that any human being has ever had to go through. Let me list some of them. Betrayed by one of his closest friends, who he had invested three years of his life into. Abandoned by all of his closest friends when they got scared and ran away. Uh, unfairly arrested, uh, unjustly accused of crimes he did not commit, uh, abandoned by the crowds, and ultimately, of course, beaten, mocked, crucified, and killed. And the question that that story begs to be asked is, what enabled Jesus to walk through such challenging events with such faithfulness and such Graciousness. What allowed him to actually choose to walk through that and then to not fight back when people were hitting him, to be on a cross and actually say, Father, forgive these people. They don't know what they're doing. What would possess a man? What would enable a person to be able to do something like that? And the answer is joy. As our pastor says, for the joy set before him. It was joy that enabled him to walk that journey. It was a future joy that was laid out for him. And the author doesn't tell us what that joy is, but we know what it is. There was this joy that Jesus knew that he would go through death. He would be raised to life. He would return to his father. And he would be able to say to his heavenly father, I have done everything that you asked me to do. And he would hear his father say, well done, my son. I love you. And the joy of that reunion fueled him in those hard times. And of course, it was a bigger joy than that. He knew that through his death, he would bring forgiveness to the world. 
That he would gather a people to himself who would come around him and for all eternity be able to spend eternity with him, celebrating, enjoying him. That joy includes us. And so for that joy, that's what fueled him through those hard times. And as you read the resurrection accounts in the, in the Gospels, you can't miss the tone of joy that comes out of it. And I, I just love to think of Jesus and the joy he had on that first Easter Sunday. I, I picture him in the tomb right after he's raised to life, but still before the stone has been rolled away, and waking up again, whatever, whatever that experience was like for him, and knowing that he's about to reveal himself to his friends. But just that quiet moment in the darkness of the tomb with his father, I can only imagine that was a moment of deep joy and anticipation for him. And then when he slips out of the tomb and the women come to the tomb and Mary is there and they're mourning and Jesus is actually standing behind her, I can only imagine his joy as she mistakes him for a gardener. He must have loved that. (laughs) And then the joy of being able to say to her, Mary, and to know when he said her, her name, she would know exactly who it was. I think of his joy later that night when he appeared to his disciples in the upper room. They're still afraid. They're, they're afraid of being arrested themselves, and he just shows up in the room and says, peace. He shows them his wounds. I can't imagine the joy that he felt doing that. I think of the joy he felt 40 days later when he met them on the Mount of Olives right before he returned to heaven, and he gave them this great mission. I want you to go out into all the world now. Tell, tell the world about me. I'm sure he's filled with joy. And his greatest moment of joy, I am positive, was returning to heaven in that great reunion with his heavenly father. That must have been a moment of great joy. It's good news that Jesus is full of joy. Do you believe that? Because yeah. no? I don't think we always picture him that way. Um, I think sometimes we picture him as this guy who is always serious, even somber at times. But Jesus was full of joy. And even better news than that is his joy is not something that he wants to keep to himself. His joy is something that he wants to share with us. I want to give you uh, two things he said to his disciples the night before he died. He says this, I have told you these things so that my joy might be in you and that your joy may be complete. Now, only joyful people say things like this, okay? The disciples aren't thinking, oh, this guy, I don't want this guy's joy. You know, this is a joyful person. He wants to share that joy. Later, he prays for his disciples that same night. And he says this, God, I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. Resurrection joy, the joy that the risen Jesus offers us. I want to talk today about how do we experience that joy? And before we jump to that joy, I want to acknowledge what Mark just acknowledged, and it's this. The context of joy in this life is this. The Christian life is not easy, (laughs) okay? It is not all joy. The Christian life is hard. Life in general is hard and challenging. There's a metaphor that is running through this little letter that that we read, this passage. It's the metaphor of a race. Look at the end of verse 1. The author says, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And as we all know, this race is not a sprint. It is a marathon, right? So here's the metaphor that the author is running with. Oh, that that was a nice turn of phrase. Honestly, that just came out. Wow. That was lucky. I might use that in second service. Um, How many of you have run a marathon before? Anybody? Okay. 
I've done a half. You can go a half, halfers raise, you can raise up to like here. That's me, <laughs> right? How many of you have watched a friend run a marathon? <laughs> so we, we all know the, the struggle, the, the work, the effort, the challenge, the pain that comes from trying to run a marathon. The, the Greek word, which this was written in, for race is actually the Greek word agona, where we get our word agony. <laughs> and the author is saying, life is a race. It is a struggle. It is hard. One of my favorite uh, movies says it this way. Life is pain, right? Anyone who says differently is selling something, yeah. right? And the Bible knows nothing of a life that is easy, that is free of challenge and pain. And as Mark mentioned, some of you right now, and I'm aware of some of these stories, some of you are walking through particularly painful circumstances. It's a struggle. It's hard. It's not easy. And the question is, what is going to fuel us to walk through this struggle well, to run this race well? And the answer is not what you might expect. It is not self-discipline. It is not merely self-determination. The answer is joy. Joy is what is going to fuel us to run this race with perseverance. The joy that was in Jesus, the joy that he offers us today. So the question today is, how do we experience this resurrection joy? Well, we do what they say, and what the author says in verse 2. We fix our eyes on Jesus. Three things I want to look at this morning specifically. First, we need to fix our eyes on what Jesus did on the cross, which we'll see here. Second, we need to fix our eyes on what Jesus did in the resurrection. And then thirdly, we need to fix our eyes on what Jesus did after his resurrection when he returned to his heavenly father. All right, so let's look at these three, and then we will celebrate in song. First thing we need to do to, celebrate, to, to receive this resurrection joy, we need to fix our eyes on what Jesus did on the cross. Look at verse 2 again. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And here's the phrase. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. You know, a cross was the most shameful, humiliating way to die in the, in the first century. And we need to fix our eyes on what Jesus did there. My experience uh, with joy is that for many people, one of the biggest obstacles to experiencing joy in life is, is just the burden that we carry because of our own brokenness, if I can say it way, the, the burden that we carry because of, because of the bad decisions we've made in life, what the Bible calls sin, okay? Our, our brokenness. It, it keeps people from experiencing joy. And, and brokenness comes out in different ways in each one of us. Some of us... It comes out in these, these deep addictions that we wrestle with, that, that plague us. And this room is full of people with deep addiction. Okay, these things that we do in secret, maybe that nobody else knows, but these, these things that continue to, to plague us. Uh, for some of us, the brokenness comes out in, our, in what happens in our minds. These thoughts that race through that we entertain, these thoughts of, of jealousy, these thoughts of lust, these thoughts of, of greed, of anger, all sorts of thoughts. Others of us, it comes out and just these past mistakes that, that continue to, to haunt us, that we, we just can't uh, get around. Some of us, it's just words. We're, we do a really good job of, of letting words come out of our mouths that, that hurt people deeply, sometimes the people we love most. 
The word I'm thinking of to capture all this is the word shame. Okay? We live with a sense of shame or guilt for, for the brokenness that we have. And shame so easily robs us of joy in life. Uh, I was uh, thinking of an analogy with our, our race analogy. Okay? Shame is like this burden that we carry on our backs that can weigh us down. And the difference was, it's not outside, right? Outside, we're all smiling. How are you today? I'm great. How are you today? I'm great. Happy Easter, right? Shame is a a burden that we carry on the inside, often that nobody sees. But if you think of trying to run a marathon with this kind of load, this kind of burden inside, well, you can do it, but it's, it's robbed of joy, and so what you do is you, you just you keep putting one foot in front of the other. You keep on plotting, but there is no joy. Well, here's the good news of Easter. The good news is verse 2. Jesus Christ endured the cross, scorning its shame. The good news is that he saw the shame that we carry. He saw the, the guilt that, that, we, that we bear, that the guilt that we bear before, before a perfect God. And he saw, saw the issue of, of being broken, sinful people and a perfect God. And let me just tell you, we are guilty, okay? <laughs> so there is something to be ashamed of. I'm, I'm not saying we shouldn't be ashamed. Jesus realized there is a problem. But his solution was this. He saw the shame, and he said, I see your shame, and I am going to bear your shame. I'm going to take your shame onto myself. Here's my cute little analogy here. I'm going to bear your shame on the cross. And he says, I know what you owe, this debt that you owe to a perfect God. And I will pay that debt for you. I will suffer the shameful consequences of all of your brokenness. And I'll do it on your behalf so that you don't have to. I will pay that debt in full. And when God the Father, who sent his son precisely to do this, he sees what Jesus does on the cross. He says, everything that needs to be done to be dealt with your shame and your guilt has been done by Jesus. Nothing more needs to be done. There is now no condemnation. Amen? For anybody who puts their faith in Jesus Christ. There is forgiveness of everything you have ever done, everything you are doing right now, everything you will ever do because Jesus has borne your shame. And the risen Jesus stands before us today and he says, I have done everything that needs to be done. So come to me, all you who are tired, all you who are tired of that burden of guilt and shame, lay your burden before the cross. Come to me and you can have rest. Come to me and you can have the freedom of knowing that you are loved unconditionally, no matter what you've done, no matter what you will ever do, because I have taken your shame onto myself. Come, be free, and experience my joy. Amen? So we fix our eyes what Jesus did on the cross. That is to fill us with joy. I'm going to skip the resurrection Number two, and I'm going to come back to it. I want to go to the third thing today because that's what the author of Hebrews does. So second slash third thing we can fix our eyes on is what Jesus did after his resurrection. Take a look at our verse. Verse two, it says, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. And then look at this next phrase. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. 
So that's the second thing that we're going to fix our eyes on. Jesus sitting down at the right hand of the throne of God. So if you don't know the story, Jesus was killed. After three days, he rose from the dead. And then for a period of 40 days, he appeared to his disciples, demonstrating that he had been, he had been made alive again. And then after that, he returned to heaven to be with his heavenly father. And he did what is described here as he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So I want you to try to picture that in your imagination. Okay, picture heaven, whatever you picture heaven being. And picture there's a throne there and God is, is sitting on his throne. And Jesus then ascends to heaven. And he is, of course, given a throne right at the right hand of his father. Okay, it is a picture of Jesus being crowned king of heaven. King of the universe. It's a, it's a picture of, of authority and power being given to Jesus by his father. As his father's, we would say, as his right-hand man, as his right-hand son. Jesus himself, after he's raised from dead, he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And that's what it means to sit down at the right hand of God. It means that all authority in all the universe, we Christians believe, has now been given to Jesus, the carpenter from Nazareth. It's pretty amazing, amazing truth. So Jesus not only died for the forgiveness of sins, but then he was raised and went to heaven where he is now in charge of the universe. Now, what does this have to do with joy? Well, it has everything to do with joy. (laughs) Here's why. Here's what I can say to you today because of that. The one who is now in charge of the universe is the very same person who died for you. (laughs) Okay? The one who is in control of the circumstances of the world, the one who's in control of the circumstances of your life, the particular circumstances of your life, that person is the very same person who loved you so much that he was willing to give his life for you. So let's try to make this personal here, okay? Many of you are going through some really challenging times right now. Mark mentioned some of what those, what those might be. Some of you are facing major health crises, or you you have a loved one who is walking through that. Some of you are facing addiction. Some of you are facing depression. Uh, Some of you are are walking through marital crisis. Some of you have kids that that are going off the rails, and you're trying to figure out what to do there. Some of you are are in this deep period of spiritual doubt where you don't know what you think anymore. I was thinking of our, our race analogy that we're running with today. And I was thinking, in some ways, um, a marathon is, is maybe not the best uh, analogy because a marathon kind of assumes this just sort of even, gradual course. It, it's, life is more like one of those mud runs, you know? How many of you have done a, a mud run? Anybody? Not many. Okay. Well, if you don't know, you know, the, the mud runs you usually do with a group of people, and you're, you're going along, and then some obstacle is laid in your path, right? Some... some uh, uh, wall you have to climb, or there's some big, you know, puddle of mud that you have to crawl under, and uh, you know it's like barbed wire. So I have a really dramatic picture of a mud run here, <laughs> right? Um, yeah, that that was amazing. Um, that's not me, in case you're wondering. <laughs> but you know, we're in this race. One of the challenges is the burdens that we carry because of our own brokenness. But of course, the other challenge is, is just the obstacles that are laid in our path that, that we had nothing to do with. And some of you are, are right here with this guy. You're in the mud. You're in the thick of, 
really challenging things. I know I'm kind of making light of this, but it, this is truly, this is a good picture of what life feels like right now. And, and when you're in that kind of challenge, it can rob us of joy, right? We, it's so easy to get so focused on, on, the, on the matter and, and to be so absorbed by the pain and the challenge and, and to, to, you know, start wondering, God, where, where are you in this? Are you even here? Can you hear me? What's going on? Or are you just messing with me? Are you out to punish me for some reason? Well, the good news of Easter is this. <laughs> the one who is in control of every circumstance in your life, is the one who died for you. Jesus, he, nothing enters your life that he has not been given authority over, that he is not in control over. And he loves you. And some of you need to hear that in, in the midst of the challenge that you're facing around. He loves you right in the mud. And I can promise you two things about your Lord in situations of challenge. One, one is this, is your Lord is somebody who knows exactly what it's like to be in your shoes. Not because he can imagine it, but because he's been there. Okay, when you're in a dark place and you're praying to a Lord, you're not praying to some distant God out there who just set everything up and really has no idea what genuine human pain is like. You're praying to the one who has entered into probably deeper pain than you are currently going through and says, I know exactly what you're feeling. I've been there. I can empathize with you and I'm with you in this. He loves you in it and he's with you in it. And the other thing that's probably even more important is this. He, because he has been given all authority, he is both willing and fully able to take whatever circumstance you're going through and bring good out of it. In fact, that is the promise of Scripture. Many of you know this verse, Romans 8, 28. We know that in the good things in life, God works for the good of those who love him. Sorry, I misread that one, right? No, no. In all things, in everything that we go through, God works for the good. That doesn't mean the thing is good. That doesn't mean we'll always see the things he's doing in the moment when it happens. But in all things, our Lord is able to take everything and work it for our ultimate good. Sometimes he's using it to develop character in us. Sometimes he's using it to, to create a deeper capacity for us to experience his grace in our lives. Sometimes he's shaping us in ways that will enable us to love other people better. Sometimes he's working in us that we have a deeper taste for eternity. There's all sorts of things that he can be doing, but we can trust that he loves us, he's with us, and he will work it for his ultimate and our ultimate good. And so resurrection joy looks like joy even in the midst of trials. A joy that says Jesus has us under control, he's with me, he's in charge, and he will work this somehow for my ultimate good. That's the great difference between resurrection joy and human happiness, okay? Happiness is dependent on circumstances, okay? I got the promotion I wanted, I'm happy, right? My kids got straight A's, I'm happy. I bought the new car, the new house, I'm happy, okay? That's a beautiful gift that God gives every human being. Resurrection joy is a joy that I can experience right in the thick, of whatever circumstances I'm going through. Amen? Amen? So we fix our eyes on what Jesus did on the cross. We fix our eyes on what Jesus does when he sits down at the Father's right hand. And then finally, what the author of Hebrews doesn't actually mention here, 
but the big one for Easter, we fix our eyes on the resurrection itself. Between his death and going to heaven, Jesus, of course, rose from the dead. I love how Peter puts it in Acts 2. God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold over him. He conquers death. And he not only conquers death for himself, but he conquers death for all of us. He is the pioneer. He's the trailblazer who blazes a trail through breath, through death to resurrection. And now he holds the keys of death. And so when we die, he can unlock those doors and get us out of death. He can give us resurrection life. So to go to, with this marathon analogy, okay, at some point, we are going to cross the finish line. We will. At death, we will cross the finish line. And because of Jesus' resurrection, we have confidence that that finish line will not actually be a finish line, but it will be a starting line to a whole new adventure. I liked this picture. This guy's happy, but he's, he's pumped too. He's fired up after crossing this finish line. And one day we will cross that finish line. The Apostle Paul puts it this way at the, end his, at the end of his life. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. He's comparing it to a marathon runner who receives a crown. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for this, for his appearing. Verse 1 talks about this crowd of witnesses that are cheering us on. All these men and women who've gone before us, who have finished their race, and who we will join when we finish our race. Some of you have finished a marathon, or a half marathon, or a 5K, or a 1K, whatever it was for you. Or you've been at the finish line (laughs) when a friend finishes one of these races. And you know the relief, and the joy, and the elation. And this is the ultimate resurrection joy we have. That one day we'll cross that finish line and it will be the start of a whole new venture. And one day Jesus will return. He will transform this whole place. New heavens, new earth. We talked about this all week last week. But it'll be a place of joy and peace and fellowship and glory and beauty and adventure. No more crying, no more tears, no more pain. The old order of things has gone away. God says, I'm making everything new. As one of my favorite authors says, we will begin at that finish line. We will actually begin chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. And that is our final piece of resurrection joy, knowing that that future, that future is guaranteed. And so whatever we're going through right now, we can know that we are not running this race in vain. We do not struggle in vain. As the Apostle Paul says, right now, our light and momentary troubles that feel long and heavy, but relatively light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And is that future glory that fills us with joy. So there you have it. Resurrection joy. Let me leave you with this. Everybody I know in this world is running around pursuing happiness. I don't know anybody who's not pursuing happiness. And people think, if I can just arrange the circumstances of my life in a certain way, I will finally have the happiness I long for. If I can just find that special person, I will have happiness. If, if, if I could 
finally get that house in that neighborhood, I will be happy. If I can, if I can finally create a life that has the space and free time that I've been longing for, I will be happy. Desperately trying to control circumstances, thinking that in them we will find happiness. When the risen Jesus is here, right here, right now, he says, I offer you my resurrection joy right here, right now, right in the thick of whatever circumstances you're going through. Your circumstances do not need to change at all to experience my joy. So let's receive that joy today. Let's let the joy of the Lord be our strength. Let's let the joy of the Lord be the thing that fuels us to run this race with perseverance. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. I'm going to invite you all just to spend a a moment reflecting. And I encourage you even to have a, a conversation with God about joy. So, Father, we are so grateful for this day. Thank you for sending your son to die for us and to conquer death for us. Thank you that he is alive and well with you in heaven, that he offers us his joy right now. And I invite each of you to to ask the question, what do you need to let go of in order to receive joy today? What, What do you think you need to let go of? in order to receive joy. And Lord, for some of us, undoubtedly, it's that burden of shame that we we carry. Thinking that that we've got to fix it, that we somehow have to make up for it. And it's just this burden. And so today we long to let go of that burden, to, to lay it down at the foot of your cross and to trust that Jesus has taken care of that burden once and for all. We don't have to bear it anymore. That we can run light, run with joy. Uh, for some of us, it, it is we need to let go of control. <laughs> we, we are trying so hard to control our lives, to be in charge of our own lives. And it leaves us feeling anxious at times, angry at times. And we need to let go. We need to just let go of control. Trust that you have our lives under control. Be freed up to live as your children and to be joyful children. And for some of us, we undoubtedly need to let go of the need for a particular outcome in our circumstances. For some of us, we are hanging our hats so strongly on on things needing to go a certain way in order to be happy. And and today, we just want to let go of that. Let go of the need for a particular outcome and and trust that you are with us regardless of the outcome. Lord, fill us with your joy that we might run this race with perseverance. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.